Welcome to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. My name is Fregel Byrne. Every week I speak to leading figures from the world of sustainability and explore the sustainability agenda in marketing and strategy, technology, innovation, investment and finance. We look at the latest thinking, what's working and the future and evolution of the sustainability agenda. I'm very pleased today to introduce Barry Parkin to the podcast. Barry is the Chief Sustainability Officer at Mars Inc., the family-run confectionery giant that has over $33 billion in sales and is ranked by Forbes the sixth largest privately held company in the United States. As Chief Sustainability Officer, Barry is responsible for sustainability across the business and its supplier base. Barry has spearheaded the company's ambitious $1 billion Sustainable in a Generation plan. So thank you very much, Barry, for taking the time to speak today to the Sustainability Agenda. No, my pleasure. Good to talk to you, Virgil. Great. So I'm really looking forward to talking to you about uh, some of the great work that's uh, happening at the moment at Mars and some of the uh, new uh, commitments that you've announced and some of the ongoing work that you're doing as well in the whole area of sustainability. Just wondering maybe to start off, if you can just tell me a little bit about your role at Mars. Yeah, sure. Uh, I guess the job title says Chief Sustainability Officer. Um, So, yeah, really, I'm responsible for um, developing the roadmap for the Mars business across the world um, to become a sustainable company. So it's, you know, policy, programs, commitments um, and, uh, you know, activities that we can deploy down through our business units. It's, uh, you know, I've been with the company 32 years, so... um, I didn't start in this job. Uh, I think, like, it's very interesting, you know, you look at most uh, people in my role today and uh, they clearly didn't start their careers with sustainability as their, uh, you know, their long-term ambition. And most of us have found our way there. And, and I think that was true for me. I started with Mars as, a, as an engineer in the UK and, uh, you know, worked in many functions and uh, business units and uh, much of my career actually in, in, uh, in procurement, which, which I think led me to sustainability. So uh, it's, uh, you know, I have a fantastic job. I, you know, it's, uh, it, it, I say this is the best job in the organization and uh, um, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great time and a great challenge, but uh, really enjoying the role. Right, absolutely. Now, what does sustainability mean to Mars? I'm just wondering, what are the key drivers within the, the business of sustainability? Well, we we trace our you know our initial thinking on sustainability back to 1947, and you know, just put in context, you know, Mars has been around since uh, the early 19th. Uh, in 1912, we started, and uh, so just a bit over 100 years. And, and in 1947, so imagine 47. It's just out of the Second World War. The the uh, uh, you know the guy who really built the business, Forrest Mars Senior. He wrote a letter that year to all of the associates, the employees of Mars, in which he said, "The purpose of the company is to create a mutuality of services and benefits with all stakeholders." And uh, he went on to list those stakeholders and he, he talked about, you know, the associates, the employees, he talked about the shareholders, which was him. Um, uh, but he talked about suppliers, customers, uh, 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 communities and, uh, and government. So, you know, what he was saying was that the business can only be successful if all those around the business are also being successful. Uh, everybody that the business touches, and that—that's the only way we'll be successful in the long term. And this was this idea of mutuality, 
and uh, that became one of the you know the uh, the five principles that that sort of guide what we do now and and it really is a, a, a hugely helpful for uh, guiding what we're doing now so if you think about that it's it's basically saying that you know we've got to create these mutual relationships with all partners and that might be you know farmers who are producing raw materials at the start of our our value chain all the way through to consumers who are you know using our products at the end so you know they've all got to be doing well if we're going to do well now he didn't talk about the planet in 1947 and frankly Hardly anybody was talking about the planet as an issue in 1947. But, of course, that's become a key key part of this. So the environmental lens. So, you know, as we grow, we've also got to be growing in harmony with the planet. It's very much driven by that. So, so that concept of mutuality has guided everything we do. Right. Now, we've, we've, we've turned that into, you know, three big themes that drive our work and, and which we've announced um, uh, in the last in the last week. So uh, under our new um, plan, our sustainable intergeneration plan, we've got three pillars, one of which is about healthy planets, one of which is about thriving people, and one is about nourishing well-being. So those three pillars really are, are sort of our modern um, you know, depiction of what mutuality means. So, you know, so we've been thinking about this, working on this a long time, and, and I guess what we've done now is we've, you know, we've contemporised that around the current set of, of plans and commitments that we've built. Right, absolutely. Now, you've recently announced a, a major one billion dollar investment to help cut greenhouse gas emissions. Now. Where does that fit into this? Um, is that the, the one billion? Is that specifically for for the climate change part of this? This is part of the sustainable and the generation plan. Well, in fact, the one billion is for the whole plan. Right. Um, I, I'm sure my environmental people would love to have a billion for themselves, but but it's uh, it's across the, all three of those pillars. So, and it's roughly a third uh, for each one. So it's it's driving our you know our ambitious climate. And water and land uh, agenda underneath the thrive the healthy planet um, uh, pillar, and it's um, tackling the uh, human rights challenges, the income challenges, and the uh, you know the, the gender, the women's empowerment challenges under thriving people, and then food safety, product and portfolio renovation, and responsible marketing under the nourishing well-being. So it's a yeah, it's a big number. Um, and the way we think about this is that, you know, this is what we're investing, um, you know, very um, transparently over the next few years. But but the reality is we, you know, we won't be talking, I think, in 10 years time about how we're investing, how much we're investing in sustainability. We'll, you know, everything we do will be investing with sustainability in mind. And so, you know, I see this as sort of transitional money to get get some, you know, specific programs and activities really moving. Um, but but that it becomes part of how we do business down the line. Right. It's it's a it's an eye watering sum of money, as you say, and and and, and attention uh, uh, gathering. You 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 you. Uh, is there a particular reason? Can you talk a little bit about the timing of this? The climate um, uh, for business, the 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 feeling uh, towards sustainability, the political climate. Um, clearly, uh, it is a transitional time, and there's uh, a, a lot happening. Yeah, I think this, the, the timing is driven both by our um, uh, internal um, uh, 
uh, understanding of our footprint. So, you know, what we've been doing over the last few years in particular is really mapping the footprint of the business several steps away from the business. So if you think about a value chain, you know, we're in the middle of that value chain where we make products and, uh, you know, we convert raw materials and packaging into finished products. And we have about 150 factories around the world doing that. So we're in the middle and downstream we've got customers and consumers and upstream we've got suppliers and, and farmers. And, you know, we're a, we're a food business, so we're based on agriculture. So what we've been doing is mapping upstream to, the, you know, the very start of our, our supply chain. Uh, to understand what is our environmental footprint, what is our social footprint and, and economic footprint. And, and really that, can, that has come together in the last 12 months. So we now have a very good understanding of that footprint, which has allowed us now to set uh, you know, far-reaching science-based targets for the entire uh, extended supply chain. So that's one factor that we now know enough to be able to do this. The other one, of course, is that, you know, some of these issues are becoming uh, more and more urgent and, and climate is an obvious one. And, uh, you know, climate has been the sustainability story of the last few years and will continue to be so. And we think it's critically important that uh, business stands up and, and be counted on this and that business um, says we're going to do our part uh, to tackle this and to you know reduce our carbon footprint in line with the science to to less so that we don't contribute to warming the planet more than two degrees so those two things come together and of course you know why now in these particular weeks we're you know we're, we're coming into um the uh un week in uh, new york and climate week in new york next week and um, so it's a great opportunity to um you know to to call, deliver a, you know calls to action and to uh, start building the critical partnerships and, and reinforce some of the existing critical partnerships we've got to to get this done absolutely absolutely now you mentioned science-based targets by why are they important well they're important because um if you think about the environmental side the planet has a finite Resources, you know, there is only one planet, so we have to operate as a human race uh, within the boundaries of the planet. So there's some very well thought through, very well developed um, science as to what are the boundaries of the planet, and you know that's obviously true for climate change. And I think you know most people listening to this call will have heard about the scientific consensus about. You know, we mustn't warm the planet by more than two degrees. And uh, that's what's driven the country level targets that were signed up in the Paris Agreement. But equally, that can be applied to business. And so to, to put, give you some sense of scale on that. So the, the entire uh, carbon footprint of uh, the Mars business, including the bits we don't own and operate, but, but if you go all the way up to farmers and all the way through to consumers, the carbon footprint of the Mars business is equivalent to the carbon footprint of a country the size of um, Panama, and so we're, we're you know we're important, we're significant, and that gives you know a, a big responsibility. So, if the if the world is to keep underneath that two degree cap, then we must set a target uh, for our entire carbon footprint, which is consistent with that. So the science tells us what the right target is and uh, that's equally true um, of other things like our water footprint like our land use footprint um, and and in a way equally true of uh, you know our social footprint it's 
um, you know, it's critical that you know everybody who's connected with our business is doing well, and so that sets a target in terms of a you know a baseline in terms of income. So we we believe very strongly that it's our responsibility to set targets that are rigorous and based on what is necessary, rather than what is maybe possible or known or on incremental progress. And this is quite uh, I think distinctive. Most companies haven't yet done this. Um, what it does do, though, is it sets it sets some extremely challenging targets. So, you know, on on greenhouse gas, for example, you know, we need to reduce our um, greenhouse gas footprint by sixty seven percent by twenty fifty um, in real terms. So, irrespective of how big we grow, how fast we grow. Our absolute greenhouse gas footprint has to reduce by 67%. Now, that isn't going to happen by business as usual and sort of incremental change. That that requires transformational change, doing things you know very differently than we've done in the past. So, um, we're, we're a huge believer in in you know setting the the right bold target, and then you know finding the partnerships and the innovation that allows us to get there. Yes, well, as you say, uh, exponential, uh, really, level of change. So I, I guess that ties in with this question of um, the, the, how the sustainability agenda or the goals are integrated within the business and, and how, how well would you say they are integrated and how have you done that? You know, honestly, I'd say we're, we're um, you know, we're part way through that, that journey. Um, I think it's fair to say, you know, 10 years ago, um, we, like most businesses, really only had, um, you know, at the highest level in the businesses, financial goals, you know, growth goals, earnings goals, cash goals. Um, and we, uh, what's happened over the last 10 years is we've slowly brought in alongside those goals, um, environmental goals and social goals. So, you know, the idea of the triple bottom line, um, uh, we have now embraced uh, in uh, at, at, you know, at the very top of our organisation. So, you know, our business strategy now has financial goals alongside environmental goals, so greenhouse gas reduction goals, for example, alongside socio-economic goals in terms of uh, improving livelihoods of of uh, farmers in a, in uh, in our extended supply chain. So. Um, it, you know the company's embraced that, and we're you know with those goals become cascaded down into the business unit. So we're we're part way along the way. I, you know the reason we're not all the way is I'd say that you know we're still working out you know at a uh, an operating level how you you know sometimes manage the tensions between these things, but we're you know we're quite well 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 along the uh, the journey. Right, right. That's very interesting. Now, I'd like to come back to the climate change in a moment, but I am interested in the supply chain as well, because clearly that uh, involves many, many farmers, uh, smallholders and, and, and uh, uh, th- you know, throughout the world um, uh, and cocoa. Uh, uh, sorry, let me just do that again. <laughs> um, yeah. Um, c- can you tell me a little bit about your supply chain goals and uh, how, how you're doing there? Yeah, the um, you know Mars is a food business, so food is 
based on agriculture. So, you know, fundamentally, we're a business based on agriculture, which means that, uh, you know, the farmers at the start of our extended supply chain are critical to us. So we we have towards a million farmers uh, produce um, raw materials for us. So it's a big number and they're spread all over the world. They, you know, it spans from... Uh, uh, you know, big agriculture in Europe and, and North America, big farms and, uh, you know, very professional farming uh, through to uh, family farmers, smallholder farmers in Africa, in uh, India, Pakistan, in Southeast Asia, in Latin America. And, and the majority of those million are smallholder farmers. And uh, so, you know, if, we, if we're to become truly sustainable as a business, then uh, those farmers need to be doing well. And and frankly, many are not. You know, the poorest people in the world are smaller smallholder farmers. So there are challenges at, at that farm level in terms of the incomes that they're producing and in terms of the environmental sustainability of those farms. And uh, so, you know, a big part of our challenge as we become sustainable in a generation is to work with those farmers and get them on a path to, to, to being thriving small businesses that are operating um, you know, in harmony with the planet. So hence we've set goals around uh, uh, the, uh, you know, the, client, the um, greenhouse gas um, uh, sequestration that, that we can do at the farm level, the water usage that's happening at the farm level and the productivity and land use at the farm level on the environmental side and also set goals on uh, the uh, in terms of incomes so you know if i give you an example you know cocoa farmer in west africa and 70 percent of the world's cocoa comes from west africa you know they're typically living on uh, you know a dollar a day per family member um, or less which which is um, below the um, the current definition of uh, poverty, so so our task is to significantly increase those incomes, maybe double or triple those incomes, and we do that through um, you know putting programs together and support for them, which brings the latest planting material, uh, which is more productive, more climate resistant. Uh, we bring that alongside the you know the best agricultural practices. Um, and alongside the, the right inputs in terms of the right fertilizer for the land they're on. Um, and, and then alongside that package of sort of agricultural help, we bring uh, credit facilities, we bring um, our uh, secure uh, purchasing commitments over the long term, and, uh, and we work with the communities to, um, to develop secondary and tertiary forms of income. Uh, generation, so they're not totally dependent on one crop, and we and we build build that all into an agroforestry system at the farm level. So we're looking to you know completely transform the way that they run that effectively their small businesses, and th- and that requires us working with them over over m- many years. So many of our projects will run for you know five to ten years with these farmers. Um, by which time they will have made this journey to being, you know, successful, thriving businesses. So that's the, you know, the level of, um, uh, you know, transformation required at the, at the farm level to do this. And you know, so think about multiplying that by, you know, towards a million farmers. And that's the scale of the challenge that we have to take on in order to um, to drive that overall transformation. So it's about, you know, farmer by farmer making a difference to their livelihood and to their interaction with the planet.
Right. And how is that going? Now, presumably, there are some there, there, there are significant dif- di- differentials in productivity uh, from, from different uh, farms, different suppliers. And I guess trying to uh, communicate and share the best practice and, and support that is, is challenging. Yeah, the uh, you know if I stick with the cocoa example, the um, you know what we've shown at uh, you know scale with with thousands of farmers is that if you bring the right package of um, um, you know planting material, good agricultural practices, and fertilizer, we can triple the yield of a farmer. Um, we can take a cocoa farmer from uh, around about half a ton per hectare. Uh, of cocoa to one and a half tons of, of cocoa, which is which is life changing in terms of the, the you know the income change that they get. So, the, in a way, the science is um, proven, and uh, you know we've developed that science over decades. And the challenge is uh, you know getting it into the field at scale, and uh, you know that's where we work with uh, a whole range of partners and and through a whole range of initiatives. So, we launched a. Um, uh, a big program uh, across uh, smallholder farming two years ago called the Livelihoods Fund for Family Farming. So this this is a um, 120 million euro investment fund that we've set up um, with uh, Danone or another um, uh, the French food business. Um, we've co-founded this fund, and its mission is to drive this transformational change with smallholder farmers. And we'll be we'll be implementing uh, 20 or more initiatives of the sort of 10,000 farmer scale with different farmers in different geographies. So the the first project from that fund went live um, a couple of months ago, and that's on uh, with vanilla farmers in Madagascar. So the, I don't know whether uh, you, you know you know this, but vanilla is a key ingredient in chocolate, and um, the uh, far and away the biggest producer of vanilla in the world is Madagascar. And uh, the, the Madagascan farmers have all the, the challenges of, of uh, many of these smallholders of uh, low incomes, um, uh, struggling uh, with yields and, uh, and, and starting to struggle with climate change. Uh, and so we've gone in and put an initiative together, which is, which is not only improving the agricultural elements of this, but also getting them involved in the, the next stage of processing so that we can dramatically increase their, their incomes and, and build this agroforestry system. So the first projects under that fund are, are going live and um, you know, we've committed to invest through that fund for, for at least the next 10 years. And that'll be one of the, the key vehicles that allows us to, um, to make the progress we need to make. Great. Great. Can you talk a little bit about the, the, the work and your focus on greenhouse gas emissions? Um, and, and, and also, I guess, a pretty uh, fundamental question, but what is the, the business case? How do you articulate it within Mars for, 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 for focusing on climate change? Yeah, great. Uh, so, you know, we started on uh, tackling our greenhouse gas emissions around about 10 years ago. So we set our first science-based targets around our own operations. So those we, 150 factories around the world and sites. So we set the target then of um, a 25% reduction in greenhouse gas by 2015 and, and zero uh, greenhouse gas from our operations by 2040. So a very aggressive target. And um, we started with you know, the bit we control in the middle of that supply chain. 
And we've, we've implemented that through efficiencies in our factories. You know, so basic things like you know, making sure there's nothing turned on uh, when you're not using it, uh, minimizing the, uh, the power that's used in the factories uh, you know, through the day, um, and replacing older equipment with newer equipment that's more efficient. So efficiencies and then renewable energy. And we started with a few you know, on-site renewable energy projects. Um, we've got a wind farm at our facility in uh, chocolate facility in New Jersey here in the US. But what we quickly realized was that we, we hadn't, you know, those 150 factories, some of which we'd, uh, you know, we built 50, 60, 70 years ago, we hadn't built them in the sunniest places in the world, nor the windiest places in the world. And, and nor had we got, you know, vast amounts of land around them to build renewable facilities. So, so the idea quickly emerged about um, building off-site uh, large-scale renewable projects. And uh, we've been progressing that uh, aggressively in the last three, four years. Our first big project was in the US and uh, we, uh, we built with investors um, a wind farm in West Texas. And you know, they, I, the stat that always blows me away is you know, this wind farm in terms of land size is the size of Paris. Um, so a huge wind farm, 108 uh, big turbines. Now, and that came on stream within a year, and that immediately gave us sufficient renewable energy for all of our operations in North America, renewable electricity. We followed that with a, uh, uh, a wind farm in Scotland, um, which, which again covers all of our electricity needs for our operations in the UK. And we're now rolling this around the world. So we've got projects in the pipeline in, in China, in Russia, in India, in Australia, in Northern Europe, and uh, in Mexico. And uh, we, you'll see announcements about these as we go forward. But, but what, what, we've, what we've been able to do is not only quickly get all of our sites um, to 100% renewable energy at a country level, we've been able to do this at cost parity. So we've been able to put together deals in each of these countries, which either are the same cost as uh, our fossil fuel energy suppliers or lower cost. So, you know, what this is demonstrating is, you know, we've reached this tipping point. The world has reached a tipping point where renewable energy is cost effective and um, which is fantastic. So you, you asked the question about the business case. Well, the business case is very straightforward on, on a project like this. Uh, where we, we were actually saving money by making the switch. And, uh, you know, hence we're going as fast as we can on this. And, and we've, you know, we've already achieved that 25% reduction um, by 2015, and we're on the path to a 40% reduction by 2020. So in a way, we, we can see very clearly how we will achieve our greenhouse gas uh, goals for our own operations. Right, right. The, yeah, just just a thought, but I think you know, putting that in context of this extended supply chain. Um, but you know, when we look at where is the greenhouse gas across this extended supply chain, you know, those 150 factories that, that we control are only six percent of our total greenhouse gas footprint. So you know, this is great. You know, making great progress on our own operations, but we're making great progress on the six percent, and uh, you know. Back to the challenge being this extended supply chain, and and in a way, you know, transforming agriculture so that it's uh, it's not contributing to uh, climate warming, but it's actually helping 
um, us on the, on you know uh, helping the planet in terms of climate change going forward. Right, that's very interesting. And I, I read recently uh, an article about the Netherlands uh, and the, their approach to agriculture as well and the productivity yields that they've been uh, achieving. Uh, so there does seem to be a lot happening in agriculture in that sense. Um, now, is this then, you, you mentioned in the beginning that these, these investments, um, which I guess, you know, are, are, are nominally uh, sustainability today, but tomorrow may not be called sustainability, as it were. So do you see this helping in terms of competitive advantage? Yeah, a couple, a couple of thoughts on that. that. You know, that if you think about the farmers at the start of our supply chain, you know, back to this concept of mutuality, if they're not doing well, then they're not going to want to produce the high quality raw materials ingredients we need and they will you know drift away to other growing other materials or or frankly move away from agriculture and go work in the city um, so you know we're dependent on agriculture so it's it's critical for our long-term success that those farmers are being successful and as I said you know many are not at the moment so so we believe that if we're going to be in business, you know, over the next hundred years, then we have to ensure that those farmers at the start of our value chain are doing well. So there's a very, um, you know, clear business rationale for uh, investing in those farmers. And, and in the short term, if they're not doing well, then, you know, we'll face uh, raw material shortages and uh, potentially significant uh, cost increases as there'll be fewer farmers that want to produce the, the crops. So that, I think that's um, a very clear indication of why this is good business to invest with the farmers. And the other one is, you know, just around carbon. We, you know, we do believe that, you know, increasingly there will be a price on carbon uh, going forward. And, uh, you know, companies will uh, pay, you know, have to pay a, some form of a premium uh, for the for the, for any carbon that's associated with their business, so it clearly makes sense with that belief to reduce our carbon footprint as far and as fast as we can in order to get a competitive advantage. So, so that's what we're doing. Great, great. Now, is, is there ever a tension between selling chocolate and sustainability, Barry? Um, tell me more. What's at the back of your mind? Well, you know, there are issues associated with obesity, with, uh, you know, chocolate and so forth. And um, I'm just curious to see, you know, how you think about that. I know companies like Patagonia, for example, you know, uh, wrestle sometimes with the idea of selling goods in the first place. You know, they've had a uh, their major sustainability player as well. I'm just wondering how you think about that at Mars. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, I think uh, there's a couple of dimensions to that. So, so the short answer is no. Um, but uh, you know, why do I say no? I, I, first of all, um, you know, chocolate is a uh, an industry that drives massive employment around the world. Um, there are, um, you know, five six million uh, cocoa farmers alone and and you know beyond them probably twenty twenty five million family members who are dependent on on the chocolate industry so you know and that's one of many many raw materials so so there's a huge um employment that's driven by around the world driven by uh, by chocolate the you know the chocolate is a treat and that's the way we think about it and it's a um a product that's 
you know, delivers great pleasure to many people around the world and is, is absolutely fine, uh, you know, if it's a small part of people's diet. Um, so all of our positioning, our responsible marketing, our, uh, our, you know, product sizing is driven with this idea of treat in mind, that this is a, a you know, a treat you should enjoy, um, you know, happily and uh, occasionally as part of the diet. And, and if that's, you know, an arduous job is to help consumers to to see it in that light and to consume it in that light um i think the fine you know the other thing is that you know if we follow through on our sustainable and generation plan which we actually intend to you know we're, we're going to be a force for change and a force for good not only in terms of uh uh dramatically improving livelihoods but also um you know finding ways that, you know that business can operate in harmony with the planet so uh, you know we see ourselves as a, as, as a positive uh, force for good um, you know and, and this plan around healthy planet thriving people and nourishing well-being lays out our agenda to do that great great and do you think as a private as a family-owned business that you have maybe more freedom uh, to take longer term approach to some of these questions well, I think there's no doubt that having a uh, you know a, a committed family ownership um, uh, who who have a very strong set of values in this space um, is crucial. You know that you know they've they've always believed that business can and must be a force for good, and you know they want to grow a business that does uh, good as as it grows. So you know that those values are crucially important. I think I think there's some benefit in the fact that they are. Um, you know, very prepared to um, to think long term and invest long term because they're going to own the business for decades uh, to come. They're comfortable um, in uh, in thinking long term and seeing the returns on their investments coming out over the longer period. It doesn't mean that they're not um, you know focused on performance and financial performance. They absolutely are. So you know I don't, we don't get a pass in terms of uh, financial performance. But but if we present investments with a return that plays out over longer term, I think that's that's definitely an advantage to um, you know public companies where many of the owners, the shareholders, are not planning to hold the investment for uh, decades to come they're looking for you know a return over uh, you know a shorter period months or even you know or years so so yes and i i, I do the uh, you know my uh, my peers other chief sustainability officers of public companies i do think have some envy that the fact that uh, we have this committed family ownership and, and can think longer term Yes, yes. And are you optimistic, Barry? Um, there are people, I guess, fall in different places on the spectrum of that we're, we're starting to make change, that it's a sea change, or that we're, we, we still have a, just a tremendous amount to, to do. And I know as a George Seraphim at Harvard recently wrote a piece about collaborating, companies collaborating together to deal with sustainability issues and that, you know, not competing uh, so much. Uh, what's your sense of the, 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 the lay of the land? I spoke to Tony June recently and he was saying that he just feels a very strong drive from corporates to make you know sustainability happen to work together on climate change that this is a very significant driver at the moment uh, yeah I think I, I, I am I am in the big picture highly optimistic because I believe that um, you know we will find ways to to solve these challenges I 
I am worried about, uh, you know, the pace. And, uh, you know, I think this is a point where we must accelerate. You know, the, well, you know, part of our message is that, um, you know, these extended supply chains are broken. You know, they are, um, they're not delivering in terms of their impact on the planet. And, and in terms of the, you know, their, uh, uh, the people in them are not doing great. So, you know, we're very much, you know, calling to, uh, to action that, you know, we've got to accelerate. But, it, but I think if we do accelerate, then I think we can find ways to, um, to face down these challenges. And, and, you know, you're right. It's absolutely, collaboration is absolutely key here. And um, we've, we've spent a lot of time um, trying to identify the best ways we can collaborate both up and down our supply chain with partners, but also across the supply chain. And by that, I mean, you know, collaborating with what would traditionally be competitors. And um, this idea of, you know, sustainability being a pre-competitive space where, um, you know, competitors can work together to transform industries. Uh, and I'll give you a very, you know, very uh, strong example. In, you know, in Cocoa, what we've been able to do with, um, with and alongside our direct competitors is to build a coalition of action called Coco Action, uh, where we have pooled our, our knowledge of the challenges and the solutions that work in Coco um, and uh, agreed uh, a common set of goals. We've agreed um, uh, an implementation plan that, you know, at scale that every company has signed up to. We've got a common uh, metrics and reporting framework so we can learn as we go and and this is a great example of you know a, a range of companies across an industry working together to solve an industry challenge and i think we're going to see more and more of this and um th that for me is how we in you know we tackle this huge challenge we, we if we can if we can start to transform industry by industry uh sector by sector then I think I think we'll get there, and so you know I, I am I am ultimately hugely optimistic, but with an edge of we've got to we've got to accelerate. Right, thank you, uh, Barry. It's very inspiring um, conversation and, and and vision at Mars, the work that you're doing, and thank you so much for taking the time today. And I wish you the very best of success in the future. Great, no, great to talk to you, Fergal, and uh, thanks very much for inviting me on. Thank you for listening to the Sustainability Agenda podcast. I hope you found it interesting. Please sign up at the sustainabilityagenda.com website or on iTunes to make sure you don't miss any future episodes.